Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with founder of Sparta Science, Phil Wagner. This episode of the Pace Performance Podcast is sponsored by Val Performance, the team behind the Nordboard hamstring testing system. So the Nordboard is the fastest and easiest, most accurate way to measure hamstring strength. So with the Nordboard, you'll get the right information to make the right decisions at the right time. If you want to check them out, you can check them out at valdeperformance.com. This episode of the Pace Performance Podcast is sponsored by Train With Push, creators of the Push Band. So the push band is the first scientifically validated uh, wearable device to provide objective insights into your performance in the gym. So using accelerometers and a gyroscope, the push band is able to use bar speed to regulate load and volume based on your ability in the gym on any given day. So you can use the push band to quickly establish uh, 1RMs with submaximal loads so you can plan with confidence. So the pushband portal also allows you to create programs before entering the gym uh, to make change on the fly depending on how you are performing on that given day. So you can customize everything from target velocity ranges to differentiating velocities for warm up and creating working sets and supersets uh, for yourself or your athletes. So if you do want to know more about Train With Push and the pushband, get yourself over to trainwithpush.com. They also got a great blog, so you can catch up with some guest bloggers such as Mladen Ivanovic and Dan Baker. So be sure to check them out at trainwithpush.com. Thanks for tuning in to episode 88 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we've got the founder of Sparta Science in Phil Wagner. So if you'd listened to the episode with um, Andrea Hudi at Kansas State, you'll recognize Sparta Science. So it was great to get Phil on and just chat about the technology really and, te- and the technology that, has, that seems to be influencing um, a lot of professional teams over in the, and college teams over in the States. So with Phil, we discuss uh, the trends that he's seen across all the, the sports and, and teams that he's been popping into. Uh, we chat about subjectives uh, and also the influence of the Europeans uh, and Aussies over in the States. So a really good chat with Phil. I uh, hope you get something out of it. Uh, I know I did and it was, it was great to chat with Phil uh, about Sparta Science. So would love your feedback on all the episodes, uh, including this one with Phil. Um, so enjoy the episode and I'll speak to you soon. Hi guys, thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So today we've got Phil Wagner coming from Sparta Science. So welcome to the podcast, Phil. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Do you want to just give a little bit of a, maybe a little bit of intro into your into yourself, uh, your background, and maybe a little bit about um, Sparta Science and uh, a bit of background on that if, in case anyone hasn't heard of it and what you guys are doing? Yeah, yeah. So it kind of, for me, it started uh, as a strength conditioning coach. I was uh, 
drawn to the field from injuries as an athlete and so went into strength conditioning to try to help others kind of avoid some of those pitfalls and along the way found that uh you know was 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 fired a few times because we just didn't win and uh really had a bad taste in my mouth for being involved in a profession where merit wasn't used to evaluate you know my performance and so as a result, after eight years of that, went into medical school uh, for the next five years to, to learn about medicine and how evidence and data is used with patients and came out uh, from medical school, graduated and, and as a physician and opened Sparta Science uh, up here in Northern California uh, with the idea of helping validate you know, the field of strength conditioning and, and help uh, innovate and, and, and make sure that athletes were um, provided the best opportunity they could to be healthy. As you go into when you, after you've been to medical school, what was your what was your reflection back on on S and C as an industry, and how people went about things after after being through the, the kind of rigors of of medical school? Yeah, I, I think the biggest striking thing going through medical school is the you know the consequences are much more apparent in medical school. Um, and, and just medicine and hospital in generals, you know, that, uh, you know, a lot of times there's life and death situations. And so as a result, building process and following evidence was really critical um, as a doctor and in hospitals, because if you didn't, people would die. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it really kind of, you know, allowed a little bit reflection back on strength conditioning. It's not life or death by any means what we deal with, but there is an urgency in that being an, an elite athlete, that doesn't last forever. You know, there is a small window. And so while not life or death, there is a sense of urgency where those types of lessons could be applied. So how was the use of how does the use of research differ in the kind of medical industry compared to obviously looking back on your time as a as an snc coach yeah i think the 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 difference being is that you know there's a <clears throat> there's a much uh larger buffer between uh bro science in in hospitals you know with the uh there's not nearly as much anecdotal research that's being followed and you know it's again probably likely because you know, the stakes are higher. Um, a lot of the administrators are former physicians, um, so I have a, a research understanding. I think a challenge that, that we have in strength conditioning is many administrators don't have a physiology background. Um, many sport coaches, at least in the, in the States, don't have a physiology background. So it becomes challenging to, to help them sift through what's real research and what's, um, you know, good marketing. So we had um, Andrea Hudy on from yeah. Kansas State. Um, I don't know how many episodes ago, quite a few episodes ago, um, talking about yourselves. Mm. But do you want to just give us a bit of a, a bit of an overview of uh, what what Sparta Science is and the kind of um, the tech that you uh, that you implement in places like Kansas? Yeah, who do you? Uh... Andrew was our was our first uh, client, or we actually refer to him as partners. She was our first partner school, and you know, so what what the software does is it's it uses force plates to analyze movement, 
um, we've been able to patent some of these variables that are meaningful and then subsequently track them alongside workouts and game stats and injury histories. And so taking all that information, the software is, is a machine learning tool that basically begins to individualize every athlete's program um, based on that injury history, the force plate analysis, game stats, ethnicity, and all these other variables that, that allow the, the algorithms to learn and be more specific and predictive for each person. Um, I think where, where Hootie's strength is, is that, you know, she really kind of exposed me to the fact that the best technology, you don't even know it's there. You know, it's, it's, it's ingrained as part of the fabric of whatever culture you define for your organization. So what, what's, the, what's the journey of a player? So an ath- athlete comes into the, into the gym environment, how, how does one get taken through that, um, that kind of spa science journey? Yeah, so generally the first thing they'll do is uh, a counter movement jump and what will come out of that will be a, what we call a movement signature, which looks at an athlete's eccentric force, what we call their load, their concentric rate of force, what we call their explode. And then the third variable is their concentric impulse or their drive. And the ratios of those three form a unique signature like a, like a fingerprint where every individual then can have their own solution to how they approach sport. And as a result, different exercises and programs have now been statistically linked to changing those variables and as a result you know there it completes that whole you know diagnosis and prescription model that that we found in medicine the data that it's going to that the um movement signature is going to give you is going to be quite specific in terms of in terms of its guidance for that following session so it's going to prescribe loads sets and reps is that right that's right, right, and, and um, even to the point now where it, it might even say, oh, well, sleep has a higher priority than lifting or, you know, fitness or a certain sprint distance, you know, so it goes beyond just the, the lifting component and then starts to look at if other facets need more of a prioritization for that individual. Mm-hmm. So that, that, um, that movement signature is going to get more – uh, in depth as, as more data has been collected on this, on the system itself. That's, that's correct. That's correct. And I think that's the benefit as we've grown is, you know, as we get more partners and more data coming in the system, you know, the data and the algorithms are just getting smarter and more precise, you know, or our odds of prediction are getting, are getting better. Yeah. So obviously you've learned, it sounds like you've um, partnered up with, with Andrea, you know, quite a lot. Um, but you mentioned a couple of, when we were chatting before, mentioned a couple of other clients. Is there anyone in particular who you've kind of learned uh, as much as, as you did from Andrea, maybe overseas or even still in the States? I think, you know, the, the probably one of the best parts of my job is that I get a chance to see all these different cultures. And so they're all, they're all different and they've, they've all allowed me to really appreciate, you know, coaching and the effects it has on, organizations and people. So, you know, Kansas, who do I mentioned, like she does an incredible job of, of really 
getting all the players to be consistent. You know, I spent some time, you know, last summer over in, in England and Wales with some of our rugby partners there and um, really impressed by the level of professionalism. Um, you know, it's certainly one of the better parts about what I found in the UK. Um, very inviting, um, really curious, um, operating really at a higher level of, of validation, you know, than we operate here in the States. Um, and then Australia, um, spent a lot of time there. A third of our clients, partners are in Australia. Uh, I think do a super job of there of, of really keeping their work days light. Um, and I don't mean that in a lazy way. I just mean that they're highly efficient and that don't see the need to be pulling 12, 15 hour days, seven days a week, like you would hear, see here in the U S. Um, and then each college has its own culture here in the U S or each pro team. And, and, um, they're all very different. It's like every organization is their own country with their own customs and culture. Mm. So when you mentioned validation there, Obviously, that's going to be a that's going to be a huge part of um, like some of your partners, like uh, the guys in the UK. Obviously, everyone who's who's coming on board is going to be asking that question. What what, so, what is sorry? So you, you just picked up on the uh, positive attribute of the UK ones. That, that was it, huh? You are sorry. Say that again. <laughs> I said you're just picking on the positive one for the UK, right? <laughs> Yeah so, yeah, so yeah, so the uh, obviously the validation is going to be a big thing for for everyone who's coming into you know getting in touch with you um, about your system. What what is out there in regards to uh, validation? Yeah, so I think it's a it's a combination of of two things. You know, one is you know validating the the actual variables of an assessment is a, is a key piece. You know, because um, that's ultimately what you're trying to to base the decision making off. But the, the one that's even more lacking that we feel we're helping fill a need in is the validation of the subsequent action, right? So we validate the assessment, right? But we have to start breaking this habit of conceptually addressing the assessment. You know, it, you know it'd be like getting a blood test and, you know, not having equal validation or research behind the subsequent antibiotic or antifungal. Um, and so validating not only the assessment, but also more importantly, the treatment and which exercise has been, you know, vetted by third parties and lots of data that it's more effective than another to help an individual. So I just wanted to, to move on a little bit with regards to just the, the kind of collection of data globally. Mm. Um, there's, there's been a, a couple of news stories. Well, one in particular uh, news story over here in the last couple of days with regards to a, an ex-Premier League footballer um, talking about uh, sports scientists kind of getting a lot of, well, becoming very powerful in the in the decisions that they make um, for, for players kind of during the week uh, leading up to games and things. And th- a couple of questions came out of that on social media with regards to the, the reliance on on the collection of data, obviously that's, that's your business. Um, but what are you seeing with regards to coaches implementing your, the data that obviously collected on your system, but also keeping the, the coaching aspect. So a, a good mixture of the two is that, is that happening? Or are you seeing a, a kind of a, a huge reliance on that, um, on that data and, and maybe losing the coaching side of it? Yeah, I think, 
probably in the in the U.S. we have less of that. Uh-huh. You know, I think where we're um, historically have in strength conditioning in the U.S. not a lot of technologies been used here. Um, as a result, you know, the art of coaching or the actual applied side is really strong. Um, and overseas, the the technology experiences and and education is far greater. Um, I think the challenge is going to be here globally, you know, how do, how do we maintain that balance, right? How do we make sure that, you know, data is not making all the decisions and, and ultimately how do we make sure there's not too much data, right? Because I mean, I, that's the biggest thing I see is that there's so much information out there that what variables dictate action tend to change on a weekly basis. And as a result, you know, you never really get any consistent, um, findings right and then i think the other thing is the athlete and the and the staff never gets consistent education because a big piece that data should serve to do is to help educate the athlete because at the end of the day they're the ones it's their career whether it's high school college or pro it's their career and they're responsible for it and they should have access and understand all of their data and, and if that's occurring, that can really help check to make sure, you know, that all the data that's being used is, is not only transparent, but applied in a way that's beneficial. Is, is there a fear from, from guys over there that, that that is that with the influence of the kind of probably guys from the UK or the guys from Australia, that's going to, that's going to, uh, kind of inhibit the the industry and absolutely okay yeah there's absolutely i mean i think in the u.s there is a fear you know of oh here comes another aussie another brit right they're coming over right (laughs) and and the and the default response tends to be well they uh they know a lot about science technology but they don't know a lot about coaching right and you know, and I think there's, there's, it works both ways. You know, I'm sure it's, it's perceived at times where, you know, the Americans are just discovered fire, you know, and, <laughs> you know, so I think, I think there's a happy blend between the two. I think there's an incredible experience that we just don't have looking at information and applying it less emotionally um, to situations, which is really important, right? Because, Sports are very emotional environments, so I think the advantage that UK and Aussie coaches have is they've they've been trained in an environment that's less emotional. Mm-hmm. Whereas Americans, you know, they'll they'll swing with the wins and losses too much, right? So I think there's just got to be a. I don't think I'm I'm confident there's not a, a a better way technical versus applied. You know, the key is trying to meld those in a way that you know, allows the organization and, and ultimately the athlete to benefit the most. Mm-hmm. Within the, within the Sparta Science systems, it take into account uh, subjective data as well? Yes, it does. You know, and I think a lot of that is, is, is due to, you know, that's a perfect example, Rob, is, is probably this RPE phenomenon, right? Like yeah. you've, got, you've got heart rate data, which is some great data, but then you've got a lot of studies showing that RPE might be better, right? And so you've got this, rating of perceived exertion, this subjective evaluation that a lot of times is more sensitive to fatigue than heart rate, right? And so it's a great example of, 
you know, we can't ignore the, the subjectivity or the art of having a conversation. With, with the data that's been collected and has been fed into your system, are, are you seeing a similar trend with regards to the RPE? Yes, we are. We're seeing the RPE uh, for a few reasons. One um, is compliance. You know, at least with American athletes, we're not raised in environments where we're using heart rate monitors, you know, from the academy age upwards, right? And so most people don't like wearing it, and a lot of people don't do heart rate monitoring. So the RPE is, allows for more compliance, more consistency. Um, and I think the other aspect is there's, in, in this day and age, there's so much more social and emotional stress on these players and athletes that, you know, sometimes that can't take into account just from an aerobic measure. And, and also, most of our sports, honestly, just aren't aerobic anyway. And uh, sometimes heart rate monitors struggle with more of those intermittent anaerobic bursts. You know, majority of our work, a lot of it is in baseball. And uh, as you see from some of their body types, there's not a large aerobic demand, mm -hmm. you know, from, from that sport. So is there, has there been questions asked with regards to the um... – not the technology itself, but with obviously this upshot of the, the um, usability um, and compliance with the RPE, um, that that kind of overrides the, the the other parts of the tech that you you guys and, and other companies offer. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think it's it's really a presentation of you know we feel pretty comfortable and confident with the the patents we have around around the force plate, but ultimately. It's whatever works, you know, whatever works for the athlete. And in some cases, if monitoring RPE much more frequently than a force plate test results in a, in a larger benefit, like we're all in, you know. And um, so I think ultimately if you're keeping the, the right motives at the center, then the technology decisions um, become easier to prioritize. Uh, we certainly have software partners that use our software that, that do not use the force plate. Okay. Use, use actually RPE, a local team, uh, San Jose Earthquakes, an MLS team, um, use our software and they use it for, you know, GPS and RPE, um, but not for the force plate. They don't have a force plate. So it's, it's really each organization's own and wherever they find the most benefit is, you know, what we're looking to help support. Mm -hmm. So they use it as an, as an athlete management system? That's right. Okay. That's right. Okay. Because that's ultimately the goal. I mean, we believe the, the force assessments are a, a big piece of that, but never the only piece. You know, you've got injury histories, right? You've got fatigue monitoring like the RPE and, and sport lows from, from GPS systems. Yeah. Mm. So when it comes to the kind of the future of um, – we'll go with Sparta Science – because that's, the, that's obviously the obvious uh, conversation. Where, where do you see that going in the, in the future and where, where will people, um, what will people be looking for from you guys in five, ten years? Right. You know, I think the, the biggest need, you know, closer more to the five-year mark is, you know, a lot of times, particularly here in the U.S., technology is seen as something that's added, you know, to what we're doing. And, it's, and, and in that way, it's a burden. Right. It's just another thing that has to be managed or, you know, acquired, right? Where the future of technology actually has to be less. 
You know, it actually, the technology has to strip away the things that we do that aren't needed, not add more to it. You know, and so I think the future has got to be as these algorithms, as these software predictive models grow, they should identify what's being done that's not useful. You know, in baseball, it's called eyewash. You know, it's just these things that are done because they've always been done, right? And so really trying to identify what's being done in each organization that doesn't really have any effect or even it has a negative effect and making sure those are removed so there's more time for sleep, there's more time for rest, there's more time for discussion, um, not more time for spreadsheets, (laughs) you know. And so, but 10 years, you know, further down the line, um, you know, we see at least from our own perspective an ability to really accurately benchmark where athletes should be at in their developmental process, both from a performance standpoint, but also in that return to play process, which is often a very murky area. So on on a more global sense, where do you see, where do you see things going from a, from a performance point of view with regards to tech? Yeah, I think, I I think that, the, the field is going to hopefully start shifting more towards action and insights. Right now, it's it's the focus is on collection, and it's got to start shifting to okay. Well, that's that value is really nice and it's very interesting, right? What are we going to do about it? And you know, I hope that you know the field starts to shift back towards more of an applied mentality that. Okay, we've got great technology and great systems and and great new databases. Like, but how are we really using that to change what we do, right? And I think that's gotta it's gotta start shifting here at some point because I think a lot of organizations are gathering data and as much data as they can handle, but it's not really changing um, their day to day. I mean, I sat on a panel a month ago and and heard professional scouts here with baseball talk about all this new technology that's out there. And then the panel moderator asked, well, what are you guys doing differently with all this new technology? And all three answered, honestly, we're doing nothing Nothing. differently. Mm -hmm. So do you you think it's scaring technical coaches? Obviously it clearly is Um, scaring technical coaches over there. I I I think it is. And I think, you know, the, and I think what needs to happen then is the people that are more on the tech side need to make sure that a simplification process in, is in place so there's layers, right? Rather than somebody drinking out a fire hose, you know, there can be a layer of like, okay, superficially, here's a couple things. And then when they start asking questions, you can start peeling back that onion so that education and that knowledge occurs at a much slower, self-selected pace. So it's it kind of things are coming to me as as you, you talk there, and it kind of seems to make tons of sense that sports scientists and SNC coaches, whatever, you, a lot of the time over here, it's kind of mingled into one. Um, but sports science, sports scientists as a as a profession have kind of um, have, have pushed on, but technical coaches, it seems like, haven't been dragged along with them, and they've been sports scientists have been pushing and pushing and pushing. But forgetting about the actual thing that actually matters, and that's the guy that's working with the 
the team hands on day to day every day. Um, does, does that sound does that sound pretty accurate? Yeah, I would I would absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know there's a lot of theories and colleagues I've talked with. Maybe maybe those sports scientists need to spend time coaching first, <laughs> or maybe having athletic experience would be beneficial. Mm-hmm. You know, personal athletic experience because you go through that that loneliness when you're injured, right? Or the frustration when you're hurt or when you don't make a squad, right? So all the emotional journeys that you experience as an athlete or a coach, I think are important lessons prior to be an effective sports scientist. So for the the kind of young sports scientists coming out of college and university, um, because people are obviously going to university to be that data guy, to be that sports scientist and not really thinking about the the other side. Um, what what kind of advice would you give to, to them guys um, to actually push themselves to get involved? Would it be technical coaching? Would it be would it be in the gym? Uh, would it be just to get off their ass and go do some sport? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, it's a great question. I to to me, I'm I I mean, I've learned so much just by my own personal experiences, you know, and so I think there's just an incredible. Um, experiential opportunity to physically put yourself outside your comfort zone. Um, you know, I, I, when I, I played sports in college, played football and then, and then rugby. And then when I got done, I Olympic lifted for some time. And then I got trained by power lifters for some time, you know, and just exposed to things and coaches that gave me a lot of different tools in my belt that were all based on, how I experienced it as an individual. And what it allows is an incredible amount of empathy to not only a sport coach, but also to, you know, a strength coach or to an athlete. Man, I know what it's like, you know, getting fired, or I know what it's like, you know, blowing your hamstring. You know, I don't even have a left hamstring anymore because, you know, (laughs) as an athlete, I'm just not a very good athlete, but I kept playing and kept, you know, enduring some of these issues. And and ultimately, it just made me a better coach or a better sports scientist. So, just coming back to the the data itself, what are you um, what are you seeing from or hearing from the the guys that you are working with? Um, and and you mentioned about cutting things back to to collecting the data that actually matters. What are you seeing out there that people are actually cutting back um, and binning? And what are the stuff that they're they're keeping and seeing really real value in? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing is it's trying, I think, looking at it from a different way of depth rather than width. Yeah. So doing less tests more often and trying to soak more out of those less tests. So, you know, as opposed to doing a battery of tests, you know, once or twice a year. And so a lot of the, the, the values worldwide that we're seeing kind of remain and float to the top, you know, RPEs continues to be probably the most widely used globally we've seen. Um, you know, for those that do use GPS, you know, it's just so simple of high speed distance, you know, sprinting, um, is, is a big value that's always included. We see, um, and then really after that, the majority comes down to injury history is a massive one that needs to be kept at the forefront, you know, because whatever we talk about, 
you know, heart rate or, or even force plate, none of it holds a candle to a previous injury history and that predicted value. So making sure that that's always tracked and aware of is their injury history. Um, and then their sports stats. They spend the majority of the time in their sport, right? So how many minutes are they playing for a match in rugby or a basketball game? You know, how many scrums were there or how many rebounds did they have? You know, to give an idea of what kind of stress they're enduring in the environment where they spend the most time. So what are you, are you seeing um, this, this, this tech kind of taken on by, by smaller organizations um, that yeah, are beginning no, to see real value in, in de- the data collection side of things? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because actually the smaller ones are, are as motivated, if not more so, than the larger ones. And I think it's because, you know, the big, big money over here, right, the NFL, similar to over you guys with the Premier League, like if you got guys, while they cost a lot of money, if they blow out, you got other guys to take their place right away. And the smaller schools, they don't have that depth and they don't also, they don't have the resources or the manpower of staff. And so as a result, how do they deal with those different resources is to be more efficient. And so they see technology as a way to be more efficient with the limited capacity they have both on players as well as staff. So those are obviously with, I'm just getting into the, I feel like I'm, uh, I'm going to buy this right, right here, right now, but I'm just asking, is there, there's obviously different packages for these guys. There's, there's uh, kind of minimal minimum program for the, I don't know, division two, II, division three colleges, rather than the, the kind of big hitters like, like Kansas, who may get the, um, the false plates. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a range, you know, it's, it's based on the number of, of users, right? Cause you know, there are some users like a basketball team. We work with the warriors, golden state warriors. Yeah. You know, they have 15 players on a team. And so managing that group is, you know, far easier than, you know, we have a university here University of Pennsylvania that has a thousand student athletes. Wow. You know, and so for them, it's, you know, the benefit is so much about communication, you know, and that's, I think a big piece about technology. It's not to mystify or complicate, but rather to simplify and communicate. And so having that platform when you've got different facilities and different teams, um, you know, that's their value as opposed to, you know, a warriors where they've got, a one-to-one staff ratio and um but every player counts and how closely we can monitor and watch those guys to make sure you know they're on the court as much as possible so it's different approaches for different size organizations um and different cultures right some people they don't value you know you know a space like the nfl they're they're not going to place a high value on player development you know they place a high value on talent identification for the draft, right? Yeah. How do we identify the next player and possibly replace somebody on my current roster? Whereas the academy system in soccer and minor leagues in baseball, it's like, okay, well, how do we draft a guy and then chart his development and like like a stock price, right? We've invested in him. We want to nurture him and grow so our investment you know, pays off. So how are you dealing with that as a as a business? How are you kind of yeah. trying to trying to get into educate these guys or 
hopefully make them see that that the kind of nurturing development side of things is the way to go. Yeah, I think it's 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 listening is the biggest thing probably first. I mean, I went into the NFL. We work with a few NFL teams, and I went in there thinking, yeah, player development, right? We work in baseball. My my interest is player development, so we're going to talk to the NFL about player development. But for them, it's all about the draft. It's all about identifying talent. So it's really first step is taking a step back, and you had asked earlier about young sports scientists. That's the other recommendation is listen. You know, is I wasn't listening. And so listening more found that, you know, that's where their interest was. And so we had to develop ways to give them what would help them. And so, okay, show them, okay, here's so-and-so's force plate movement signature. And here's a player on your roster with the same movement signature. And what that allows is it allows within an organization, it allows that communication because now a scout who has never seen this player when he's got a profile next to a player he does know, now he understands why or if this organization drafts a player. So technology then can work to be that bridge of communication using real science. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm, very interesting. So where are you? Um, are you getting out and about? Is there plenty of things go- events going on for you, you guys this time of year? Yeah, I think most of our... Most of our travel is, is based on um, installing technology at, at new places or um, updating or upgrading the technology at our current partners. You know, I'm, I'm going to Australia here in a couple weeks to um, install the remaining Super 15 teams there um, and, and get started with them, um, get a chance to watch uh, the RFU play the Australia and on their tour down there at the same time. Nice. Um, yeah, and then um, got some new uh, university universities starting over the summer, and some some older older partners it starts to get more exciting because we start to get to help them strip away some of the things they found to not be helpful, and really make their lives easier and more validating. I think a great piece that's happened to us twice in the last month is we've had coaches saying, "Hey, can you put together a support for me?" Uh, a report for me so I can go get a raise. <laughs> and that's awesome. That's exactly what, what we got into this for is this validation of like, you know, I've never had anything to show somebody else that I've done a kick-ass job. And do you have anything scientifically and visually to show the job I've done? You know, and it's the first time that's happened to us. I mean, we're only three years old and that's, it's, it's starting to validate our mission, right, which is to figure out, okay, what is a good strength coach and what's a good program? And we're, we're just starting to dip into that this summer and, you know, exciting for that to, to, to grow out, to validate, you know, um, these individuals. So where can people keep up to date with, with what you guys have got going on? Yeah, you know, we have a, we have a blog. It's probably, the, for your audience, a, a great place, you know, where we like – getting feedback and and certainly post guest posts all the time um, of of different of different coaches or administrators on their perspectives so the blogs at spartapoint.com and and you're on twitter as well yeah we're on twitter as well um sparta science and i think yeah we've become a little bit more involved in social media lately which has been nice to kind of 
start connecting our partners too. I mean, it's great for us to have some of our Australia partners talk with, you know, Hootie and, and, and the UK and, and start mixing, connecting people. It's just great. We've got the Northampton Saints in your neck of the woods coming out okay. next week. Nice. And we just set them up to go visit one of our other partners, Cal Berkeley, University of California. So it's that kind of, you know, networking and that, uh, you know, we're excited about too to help these um, coaches learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Northampton Saints have, have, have got a system, have they? Yeah, so the Saints have got a system. And then, um, you know, one of, one of the coaches is uh, on uh, professional development leave. So he'll come over here and we've set him up with some visits. And so it should be a nice kind of way to tie in some, some new perspectives for him. Yeah, absolutely. Nice. Well, very good. Um, well, thanks for your time, Phil. Uh, really appreciate it and uh, it's great to chat but I'll, uh, I'll let you go I've kept you for long enough now I'm sure you've got a, a busy day ahead so um, yeah well thanks very much and uh, we'll keep in touch Rob thank you this is a this is a great podcast so yeah keep it going it's been great thank thanks, you thanks mate speak to you soon alright take care see you mate bye bye thanks for tuning in to episode 88 of the Pacey Performance Podcast I hope you enjoyed the chat with Phil so just before I let you go, I just want to say a massive thanks to both Train With Push uh, and Val Performance for sponsoring the podcast today. So again, just letting you know, I've got some great guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Um, stay tuned and you can follow me on Twitter at Pacey Perform to keep up to date with everything that's going on in the podcast. So hope you enjoyed the show and I will speak to you next week.